You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Bodyful. You can probably hear the birds chirping, the plane flying overhead. You may hear some droplets coming down from the leaves. Um, And you might hear my neighbor doing a little bit of some kind of house project. (laughs) But I really wanted to record outside. So there you go. Get all the goods. Um... This is going to be a solo episode, Obvi, if you have clicked that, the title indicates as such. Um, I am still processing all of the incredible experience of my recent seven-day silent retreat. So I am hopefully today finishing the blog post that I'm writing about that. And we'll share that on my socials, um, Instagram at Val K-A-Y Martin. And yeah, look for that. Excited to go back to the catio later today to teach cat yoga. I can't remember if I talked about that on here. I don't think that I did. But anyway, um, it was, I've only taught once so far. And it was an amazing experience. (laughs) I really, really loved it. Um, So I'm looking forward to doing that again. And usually will be every other week. Um, And speaking of yoga, and also something kind of um, strange and complex like cat yoga, not not, um, complex in terms of the postural asana stuff, but just complex in terms of the idea. Um, I wanted to talk today about what trauma-sensitive yoga or trauma-informed yoga really entails and also um, what culturally humble yoga looks like or means. And of course, this is all coming from my perspective as a white hetero cis woman in a straight-sized body, living in the West. Um, And I've done a fair amount of education around these issues, so hopefully I will do them justice and I will provide a few other resources in the show notes, including Susanna Barkataki's book about honoring yoga's roots and also the some resources around trauma-sensitive yoga from David Emerson and some others. So let's start with the trauma piece, because um, I have students ask me this, and of course you could get different answers from every, every yoga instructor that you ask, 
So I'll give you my take on it. Um, again, as someone who's done some research around this, I have, I've done shorter trainings specifically around trauma yoga. Um, but of course I've done a lot of trainings around trauma in general as a mental health clinician. So, you know, one of these days, would I love to do like the full trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga training? Yes, but it may or may not happen given all of the other trainings that I want to have the time and money to um, devote to. So yes, there are very extensive trainings. And I would say that in general, if there are yoga teachers listening to this, um, definitely seek out specialized training in trauma if you are not also a trauma clinician. Um, It's just really worth it. And there's so many resources now where they make it pretty easy to learn about this. So this is one of them. Yay, you're here. Um, But, you know, spend a couple of days. Do a training that gives you a, a bigger toolbox around understanding trauma and being able to be aware of how your words and actions as an instructor in a position of power um, can impact people. Because even if, and this is like one of the most important points, whether you're a teacher or not, um, is that I believe that all yoga should be taught from a trauma-informed lens and should include trauma-informed best practices because so many people are walking around with trauma. So it's not like these principles only apply if you're teaching a trauma-informed yoga class and it's branded that way. So there will be people walking into yoga classes all over the place who are carrying around trauma. And just like we have learned so much in sort of this Me Too era around maybe what's like what we should do, what not to do, and same thing around all the racial justice awareness that has increased things like microaggressions, we're becoming more aware of how to be mindful of of folks who are carrying trauma because that's a lot of people you know the stats around like sexual abuse survivors one in four women um i can't remember how many men i although it's less than that though likely underreported as well um and and that's just one type of abuse right so trauma is everywhere um And it's not about like, oh, we're snowflakes and so we must be protected from everything. But it's just, if we know better, we can do better. So some of these principles, and and I am someone who, I'm not holding a lot of unprocessed trauma, but now that I have gotten used to practicing in this way and going to classes where teachers are teaching in this way, It honestly is jarring and uncomfortable for me when I'm in a class that is not being taught in alignment with these best practices. So, and again, I'm someone who's not necessarily carrying around unprocessed trauma. It's just, it feels more honoring of my body, my autonomy, um, and that is so important. So I just want to really express that 
clearly that I think all all yoga and ideally all all sort of fitness oriented classes because we're telling people what to do with their bodies, right? So we want them to be safe and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But we also want them to feel that sense of sovereignty, autonomy, um, respect for what their body needs to really honor their own knowing because so much of what trauma does to us is it violates that knowing it violates our autonomy and so this just makes sense you guys (laughs) okay hopefully you're on board with me um and this is why i'm honestly really picky about where i take yoga classes and from whom and what i enjoy and don't enjoy okay so let's get into some of those best practices oh there's some hammering love it um so One of the biggest is using invitational language. So that could look like, um, for instance, even when I'm ending class, I don't tell people, you know, roll to your right side, come up to sitting, place your hands on your heart. That's directive language, not invitational. So I will say, for example, um, you may roll to one side or roll up when you arrive there with eyes closed or soft gaze towards the ground. Um, if you'd like, bring one hand to heart center, the other hand on top. So you can hear within that, I am giving people choices. I am honoring that, yeah, they may want to do this one way, but they may want to do this other way instead. And that's just with a very simple ending of class. So you can imagine how that's even more significant as we're moving through what might be physically challenging postures that work differently in different bodies. For instance, an old cue that I um, never liked is like if you're, you're in a runner's lunge or low lunge and the instructor is like, lift your belly up off of your of your thigh because you know if you've held that posture you can kind of dump into your arms and just sort of like let your leg hold your body um and sure we can experience we can have a different experience if we cue that sort of like lifting up um energy but lifting the belly off the thigh is going to be anatomically impossible for many yogis and what message does that send that their bodies are not included because they literally cannot do that, right? So um, listen to the episode with Amber Carnes um, for some other excellent body positive yoga, um, inclusive yoga kind of stuff. Um, She was wonderful. But yes, so just throughout class, I'm using invitational language rather than commands or directive language. And that doesn't mean that we're not guiding, strongly guiding a practice. I mean, I can lead some pretty complex vinyasa flows using invitational language. I'm not going to say it with every single posture, but, you know, especially as we're breaking down a posture, for instance, Um, in warrior one. Okay. So this gets to a little bit more of a nuance around, um, around language is just non-hierarchical. So, um, if I'm in warrior one, I'm not going to be talking about like 
Square your hips to the front of the mat and square your shoulders must be perfectly squared and make sure that your foot is this. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm assessing for safety. So if I see that someone's in a lunge and their knee is way forward, I w- might say, you know, gently draw your knee back so that it's either above your ankle or behind your ankle just for safety. Um, but otherwise I am not I am not prioritizing what is the quote unquote fullest expression of the posture. Um, and another thing just language wise to know, and this one I'm less kind of strict on, um, but in David Emerson's trauma informed yoga book, he talks about how even the word pose, um, can be triggering to some people. So you, you know, using the word shape, which I use a lot, or maybe posture is even more friendly than the word pose, but just, just to make you think about how powerful our language is. So I'm very much a fan of, um, I will offer all kinds of cues to explore different sensations and different ways of expressing a pose. So for instance, in warrior two, um, I might tend to kind of jut out my back hip, um, and that doesn't feel so good. And I'm not sure it's probably the best for my body. And, and a lot of us tend to kind of launch our bodies forward. So I'm, I will often say something like there's no right or wrong, but you might notice if your if your back hip is kind of reaching out, maybe just gently bring your hand to that hip, draw it and see what that feels like. If you notice that you're launching forward, notice what it might feel like to stack ribs, older, uh, ribs over hips, shoulders over ribs, and just notice just different opportunities to experience different uh, sensations and different expressions of each posh, of each posture and to highlight different different aspects of the experience in the posture. So that is kind of how I can teach different cues um, in a way that is non-hierarchical. Um, so that's another thing. And I mentioned kind of size inclusivity, not giving cues that are um, just physically impossible in some bodies. And again, that, that even goes for not just size, but ability in general and honoring the fact that our, our anatomy is all different. So again, with like the idea of, you know, squared hips in warrior one, most of our anatomy doesn't do that. Um, or if you're in a wide angle fold, um, and it's like, you know, keep your knees rolled toward the ceiling. Like, uh, maybe someone's anatomy doesn't do that. So, um, you know, again, if it's a safety related, then sure, offer a cue. But otherwise, um, people's bodies are different and it's really important to honor that. So those are probably the most important things. Touch obviously is a huge thing. I see a lot less touch in studios in general, though I will say I'm not going to name the place. Um, I was at a fitness class recently and I know that the organization itself uh, really prioritizes consent for touch and they even have these little consent bracelets Um, and several instructors that I've been to um, will even mention that at the beginning of class. Basically, if you don't have on this bracelet or if you do have on this bracelet, I know that you might want to, you know, a hands-on assist. Um, And if you don't, then, you know, do your thing. Um, and this one instructor 
did not mention anything about the bracelets. They just kind of sat on the shelf and she was definitely going around and touching me and other people who did not have a bracelet on. So I was, you know, I should probably reach out to the studio. It's like, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I don't need to name names, but maybe just, you know, emphasizing that all instructors hopefully should be utilizing that as a tool. So that is one way, you know, yoga studios, um, will do either a bracelet or a card, a consent card, something like that, um, for folks who want hands-on assist. So it's not to say that if you like hands-on assist, there's something wrong with that. For me, uh, usually when I've had a hands-on assist, it has been about getting into the more quote unquote correct version of the posture. Um, and again, that is not a fan. I have had someone, a male teacher, just come and step on my foot and warrior, um, to, I guess to kind of weight down the outer, I mean, just like, why, why did you do that? You didn't ask, <laughs> did not like it, not a fan. So, um, yeah, it just sends a message that you're not doing good enough. Right now, obviously there are the types of assists that can be really wonderful, like a hand in a downward dog, um, on the low back can feel really nice or pulling up of the hips. But again, that's quite personal, right? So we don't need to just be okay with that. Um, I used to do assists in Shavasana and that can feel really lovely. But again, it's just, it gets so tricky because as David Emerson writes about, um, it's like, even if we're doing this consent thing and you know, this person has said that it's okay. Well, or, you know, you, you know them, let's say that there's no consent cards and there's no, um, there's no way to know, like, is the instructor going to touch me? But then, oh, I have this regular and I know that this person loves hands-on assist, but the person next to them doesn't and is carrying around unprocessed trauma and doesn't know once they see you touching the person next to them, am I coming for them next? Um, and then the anxiety that they have to be with. So I, yeah, it's just tricky because again, not to say there's no place for physical assists, um, especially when, I mean, from, in my opinion, if it's more about deepening the experience or having it be feel more supported as opposed to doing it more correctly, um, there is a place for that, but it's just something very delicate, which is why I think a lot of places have just kind of said, we're just really not going to do assists. Um, and I haven't done them for a while. I'm not going to say I won't ever again, but it's just very kind of loaded. So, um, TBD on that for me personally. Uh, and I'd love if, if any of you have comments about experiences with physical assists or whether you do or don't like them, let me know on Instagram. I'm so curious, um, or email. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about the sort of cultural aspect, cultural appropriation, which again, thanks to the work of Susanna Barkataki and several others, um, the yoga is dead, uh, podcast co-hosts. I'm forgetting their name, but I'll put their names, but I will put their links, um, in the show notes as well. There has been a lot of increased awareness in the past couple of years around the importance of honoring yoga. This again is part of why I don't like practice personally that is super focused on intense asana, doing it correctly, 
Um, because to me, with asana having been one, and asana, for those of you who don't know, is the name of the physical practice, the postures within yoga, because yoga is actually eight limbs, and asana is only one of those, others being things like ethics and um, and social sort of morality, internal ethics, the yamas and niyamas, um, pranayama, breath, and meditation, mindfulness. So all of these other limbs of yoga that are arguably equally as important as asana. And then of course in Western yoga, when we look at yoga as a workout, those things often get sort of left behind. So there's that element of trying to ensure that we're in some way bringing in the history, philosophy, psychology, some other elements of the other limbs of yoga into a class experience. So that doesn't have to mean that we're throwing out all kinds of Sanskrit terms. Um, sometimes I will share the terms, but emphasize that, you know, it's not important that you remember this particular term, but the concept is really relevant and useful to us. Um, so that is one way of honoring is to, you know, help folks know that, that the asana is just one element of yoga. Um, another thing has been, you know, just the kind of appropriation of Eastern, um, terms like just throwing namaste at the end of class, um, which, you know, from some, some folks, um, of South Asian descent have said that, well, that's more of like a greeting, like an aloha kind of thing. Um, and it doesn't really have the meaning that we've come to give it. So it kind of feels inauthentic. That's one that I've struggled with just because it's so habitual. So it's, I haven't used it in a little while, but there, I mean, I've been using it some kind of on and off even until fairly recently. Um, right now I'm just kind of not using it on purpose, um, and really trying that out and seeing how that feels. Uh, it's interesting how I also notice how in different studios, based on what I think that the, the norms are of the students, that I, I'm like, no, I'm supposed to say namaste, so I'm just going to say it. I'm like, no, I don't have to say it. No one's making me say it. So anyway, again, not like there's something wrong if you say namaste, but it's just if you haven't thought about it, might be something to think about. And again, Susanna Barkataki has made some excellent posts specifically on that topic. So not to mention um, all the like namaste bitches kind of stuff, like maybe not, maybe let's not take, you know, kind of a sacred term and just sort of do whatever the hell we want with it. Um, likewise, the combination of yoga with these different sorts of things like um, vin and vino, like vinyasa and wine classes, I mean, not to say that it's anti-spiritual to drink alcohol, but I feel like it's a little exclusionary because you're kind of making people feel left out who are not going to not going to um, contribute. Why can't I come up with a word here? Not going to participate in that part of the experience, um, and kind of just I don't know. I don't love 
don't love the message that that sends. Like if you're going to do the wine thing, make it just separate from the class. I was just talking about this yesterday with um, Cece, the owner of Luna Yoga, who that conversation partially inspired why I'm car passing momentarily, um, why I wanted to talk about this today. So um, yeah, just being mindful of like, there are studios who have like hip hop classes and the studio where I used to teach um, that COVID closed in her light, which was amazing. My uh, yoga home um, that I am still grieving. And we at one point did have a hip hop class. And then the owner, Emmy, a good friend of mine, um, did some of her own kind of work around um learning more about the roots of yoga and and appropriation and white privilege and all of that and through that she decided to take that class off the schedule even though it was very popular and there are studios who you know years later and all of these very accessible resources around on appropriation and racial justice those classes are still happening and led by white people and attended largely by white people. Now, I'm not going to say what, you know, a community of color should or shouldn't do around that. If they're, if they feel like the way that they're combining, say, trap music and yoga feels authentic, feels like it is, you know, honoring both their community and the practice of yoga. Cool. But if it's a bunch of white people, um, doing yoga to hip-hop music don't love that (laughs) um and you know so I mentioned the cat yoga earlier like is that appropriating because I'm just sort of like combining yoga with something trendy and but you know number one the catio is a um an organization that is uh really exists to provide a safe space for cats to be rescued so they are a rescue and adoption center and uh I love supporting that mission and truly I think that some of these things just boil down to how the experience is offered and um the mindfulness around that so like when when I got to do that recently for the first time it genuinely was such a joyful experience so embodied so um so much joy and and I can't imagine how that would not be in alignment with you know the principles of yoga santosha contentment um bliss um ananda all of these things that I think it really does honor the tradition of yoga and again especially if I can bring in some other elements that make the practice both culturally humble and trauma-informed, then I'm here for it. So I think that's really all that I want to share around these topics for right now. Um, Again, if you're an instructor, I hope that you seek out additional resources, but my encouragement is to always teach as though there are people um, in the room who are carrying unresolved trauma, honor the boundaries of their body, honor their autonomy, honor that the physical expression of some athletic 
posture is not the freaking point. So even if they did come to get a workout, there's still ways that you can honor bodily autonomy. Um, and yeah, so I hope that was helpful. And hopefully I know that some of this was geared more toward instructors, but hopefully that kind of peek behind the curtains will help you if you're not an instructor, but you like attending classes to just be discerning and to know that if something doesn't feel quite right or you don't feel quite welcome in a space or included, listen to that. There are probably better spaces for you. And unfortunately, depending on where you live, some of those spaces may need to be online, um, but they do exist. So check out Luna Yoga in Nashville if you're here, but we also have a video library online. This is lunayoga.com. And um, I will be recording a couple of classes next month for the that will come out in October. Um, but there are just so many wonderful resources. I will put some of them in the show notes. There is no way that I could be comprehensive around resources for this topic. So if you have any that you really would like me to add to the list, um, send them over. I will check them out if they resonate. I will include them. So thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it, that would mean so much to me. For show notes, as well as a transcription of this and previous episodes, head over to www.gaiacenter.co. That's G-A-I-A center.co. You can follow us on Instagram at The Gaia Center and follow me at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. Look for the link on our website where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally in Nashville, as well as tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.